This is Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So Father, thank you for defining kingdom of God for us. Lord, when I have a lot of people ask me, what is the kingdom of God? I can simply say righteousness, peace, and joy. That's, that's the definition. That's what characterizes your kingdom. And so, Lord, we thank you for the simple definition of your kingdom. And may we um, embrace it, understand it, and live it out in our lives and impart it to our world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Fifth and final message of my series entitled, The Kingdom in Me. And I'm finishing up uh, with the third part of what Paul said here. Kingdom of God is, is not this, but it is this. Kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. So we're going to look at joy. We looked at righteousness already and peace. And uh, now we're going to finish up with joy. And when I was pondering these three words, I, I realized something that joy ha- has to increase in our lives or we have no fullness of the kingdom. Let me see if I can try to explain that briefly without getting into a lot of detail about it because, again, five messages in one today. Five for the price of one. So let me, let me explain what I'm saying here. We, we looked at the connection between righteousness and peace. That There's a wonderful passage in Isaiah that says the effect of righteousness is peace or the product or the fruit of righteousness is peace. And we see how those two things go together. When things are right in your life, Guess what? There's peace. You know, you feel, you feel that peace. But joy kind of completes it all. Joy is, is sort of the, the fullness of the kingdom. Joy is the fulfillment of the kingdom. It's almost like if we only have righteousness and peace, we only have a partial kingdom, only two-thirds. It's like, it's like a two-legged stool. Who would like to try to sit on a two-legged stool? You know, we need the third part. We need the fullness of the kingdom, and so that is joy. It's, it's almost like when joy comes, that is a sign that the kingdom has fully come. Does that make sense? So you can have righteousness in your life and you have peace in your life, but if there's no joy, then the fullness of the kingdom has not yet come. So you need that as an essential part of the kingdom of God. So let me share about this important part of the kingdom of God, but let me just very briefly, very, very briefly review kind of where we're at just to kind of catch you up and if you've not been here for the for the other four messages this will help you out a little bit and I'm going to try to do this as brief as I can and summarize the past four messages again the title of the message the series is the kingdom in me and the kingdom of God is in me because the king is in me God dwells in me and therefore because God dwells in me and he is king and he has a kingdom, then because God dwells in me, then his kingdom resides in me. It is both in me, and as I've been saying, it is to be imparted through me. God's kingdom come in me and God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing is that we can expect God's kingdom, wherever God's kingdom is, we can expect it to increase. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7 that of the increase of his, of his government or kingdom, there shall be no end. There's no end to the increase of the kingdom. So wherever the kingdom is, whether it's in us 
or whether it's in our world, we can expect it to increase because God said once it comes, it will increase. It will not stop increasing. And what is the kingdom of God? We can expect an increase of righteousness in us. We can expect an increase of peace in us. We can expect an increase of joy. Same as the world. We can expect an increase of righteousness, peace, and joy in our world. So God's desire is for an increase of righteousness, peace, and joy in my life and through my life. Now, with that definition in mind, and, and that done with a review, so that was a very quick review. With that definition in mind, we can kind of plug that definition into some great verses in the New Testament that talk about the kingdom. For instance, we are receiving a kingdom. What does that mean? We are receiving righteousness, peace, and, and joy. Uh, another one is, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. What does that mean? It is your father's good pleasure to give to you righteousness, peace, and joy. Isn't that good to know? It is your father's good pleasure to give to you peace. Shalom. Isn't that good? It's got your father's good pleasure to give to you joy. But an important one that, that uh, maybe have not thought about before is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if we plug that definition in here, what is it saying? Seek first righteousness, peace, and joy. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, it mentions righteousness also. It's not being redundant here. It's almost like uh, Matthew here is saying, uh, this, I'm going to give you the first one. This is, this, you, start with, you start here, you start with righteousness. So we seek first the kingdom of God. We seek righteousness, peace, and joy. So we are to, we are to seek righteousness. You are to seek righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness, I've defined it as rightness. We are to seek ways that we can bring rightness to our world. I've, I've mentioned before that we, we all understand, we all know that when, when things are not right. We know when things are not right in our house. We know th- when things are not right in our relationships. We know when things are not right in our world and our government and things like that. We know when things aren't right because we, we, the famous question, what's wrong with this picture? We can answer that question. Things are not right. And so it is incumbent on us, the mandate on us, is to bring rightness where we see wrongness. So we are to seek righteousness. And we are also to seek peace or shalom. Who doesn't want to seek shalom? I want shalom in my life. And I want to pursue shalom. And so God says it's okay. It's okay to seek shalom, to seek peace in your life. And yes, thirdly, we are also to seek joy. There's nothing wrong with seeking joy. It's part of the kingdom of God. It's okay to seek joy. The United States Declaration of Independence declares for us an unalienable right. I wish they had chosen a different word there. It's It's not easy to say. And that is the pursuit of happiness, right? So there's a recognition even in the world or secular things that there's this desire and, and, and um, desire to, to, to quest after or to go after or pursue happiness. But when we read the word joy in the Bible, are we just talking about being happy in the worldly sense of that word? We're we just talking about being happy. Does joy, is joy equal to happiness, the worldly kind of happiness that we talk about? Well, let me talk about that for a minute. Our English word for happiness implies something. 
Happiness and happenings and happening is from the same root word, hap. Hap. Our English word for happiness implies favorable happenings. I'm happy when all my happenings are good, when everything that's happening around me is good. And so I'm happy when that happens. And it's based on good fortune at the moment because tomorrow things might go awry. And guess what? I'm no longer happy because my happenings aren't good, right? The, the word happening or happy, rather, happiness comes from an old Norse word, hap. And hap means, we'll put it on the screen here, the definition hap means chance or fortune, lucky, favored by fortune, being in an advantage, in advantageous circumstances, prosperous, of events turning out well. The events in your life are turning out well. So you can see that happiness, the very root of that idea is that it, it is definitely connected to things happening your way. And when things happen your way, guess what? You're happy. And this is the way a lot of people look at joy, but it's, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Doesn't joy just happen to us? Do I get up some mornings and I'm a little bit happier and joyful, more joyful some mornings than I am others? Isn't happening, happiness based on happenings? Let me give you an example of this. If someone asks you, how's your day? Most people are likely to respond based on happenings. What's going on in their lives at the moment? Oh, you know, well, I uh, woke up feeling a little bit you know, icky and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll talk about, you know, as you get older, you talk about your joint pains and, and all those kinds of things. How's your day? You know, well, you know, I had, a, you know, my, hot, my water heater went out, which it did a couple of weeks ago. And so my day's bad because I've got to now replace that, you know. So you, so you talk about happenings. A lot of times when we talk about how is your day, how you doing? How you how how you feeling? It's about happenings, and what's going on in your lives at the moment. And and we often look at joy as just some kind of an emotional reaction to something that is going our way or not going our way. If if what's if if that's what your joy depends on, if your joy depends on happenings, guess what? It won't last because guess what? Happenings change things change. Stuff happens, as we, as we say, sometimes crudely. The context of seek first the kingdom of God, this, if you go backwards one, the context of seek first the kingdom of God, if you look at what has gone before what, what uh, Matthew was saying, or what Jesus was saying, because these are his words, but if you look at what he was saying earlier, he was talking about uh, worry over daily provisions, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear, and so forth. And he said, people worry about these things. Jesus is saying, people worry about these things. But, he's, but Jesus is telling us here, get your mind off of those things. Get your mind off of happenings. Get your mind off, I can't afford that, you know, to, to buy new clothes and I need new ones. Because that's what he's talking about. What we shall wear, what, she, what she, we shall eat, or so, and so forth. He said, get your mind off that. Instead of, instead of that, pursue joy. Pursue, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek joy that doesn't depend on all of that. Because you can't change your circumstances anyway. He had said that earlier in this context. You can't change your circumstances. 
He even said in some translations, he said, you, he said by worrying, you cannot add one cubit to your, to your height. You can't change how big you are, how you can't change certain things. So don't be anxious about all these things. You can, however, change how you respond and react to things. Most people equate joy with having what they want out of life. Oh, if I could just have this. If, I mean, if you could fill in the, if you could finish this sentence, and most of us could, because, you know, we've all had those dreams and visions of if I could win the lottery or whatever. And if you, and if you could finish this sentence, I would be happy if, what would you say? I would be happy. And for a lot of us, it's family things and things like that. I would be happy if. And if that, if, if your happiness or joy is based on that, then you're getting it wrong. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, we are told that whatever we seek after, when we get it, we're not satisfied with it. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And, then, and I think the original language uh, says he, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. So, you know, we, we want this thing. We want this. We got to have it. We, we, we spend our time we are, and our money on it. We get it. And then couple of days later, we want something else. So he who has love, who loves money will not be satisfied. And I think some translations say, say we'll realize that it is not enough. And so we're always wanting more. Things going right doesn't necessarily ensure our happiness. Joy depends on no one and no set of circumstances. Joy depends on you. Joy depends on you. It doesn't depend on what's going on in your world around you. Let me talk about joy for a minute. Let, there's no doubt in my mind that God wants joy in His world. So much so that before God created the heavens and the earth, He first of all created angels so that they could shout for joy while He created. You, did you know that? The Bible says that the angels that God had created angelic beings so that while he was, it's almost like, you know, you know, sometimes you turn on music while you work because you just like to, you know, you somehow can work better. It's almost like God created this angelic host and says, okay, I want some music. I want some, I want some joy while I'm creating. This is what it says in Job chapter 38, verse six and seven. On what were its foundations sunk? He's talking about the world, the earth. On what were the earth's foundations sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, angels, shouted for joy? So it's, so it's like God said, okay, before I get started on this project, I'm going to create angels so that while I'm working on the world, when I'm creating the universe, I want there to be shouts of joy. And, and so... The earth was established and founded on joy. And as I was writing that line yesterday, it's like the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are also a new creation and you also are established and founded on joy, that your life is established and founded on, God, on joy. God created an angelic host in an entire universe to proclaim joy. Here's a few examples. I'm, I've got four scriptures here I want to share with you to show you what God thinks about joy. 
The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. You think God wants joy in his creation? He lets the valleys and the, and the, uh, and the excuse me, the, the meadows and the valleys shout and sing together for joy. Now the next one. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Another. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. And one last one. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills break, excuse me, before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So let me ask you again, do you believe God wants joy in his world? He creates an entire universe, an entire world that shouts and claps for joy and sings for joy and so forth. And we're surrounded by this. Another way of looking at this is this world is our home and our home is filled with joy. Our home is filled with joy. So does God want me to be joyful? When you consider that he's created an entire universe that shouts for joy, do you think God wants me to be joyful when I'm one of his creatures? Let me ask it another way. Do you think God wants me to be sad and gloomy? Absolutely not. Let me remind you, when you talk about creation and creation shouting for joy and being joyful and being glad and clapping their hands and so forth, all of these verses about joy and creation is going on in a sin-cursed world. So it's not about happenings. It's not about the, the trees clapping their hands and, and being joyful because things, everything is, is right and good. Uh, in the New Testament, it talks about all creation kind of groaning because of the curse of sin, and yet they still are full of joy and, and gladness. So joy is not based on everything going your way. It is a choice that we make. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I was writing that down yesterday. I, think I was thinking about Foghorn Leghorn, you know, who said rejoice. I say rejoice, you know, that southern rooster. And, so, and it's the only time I can think of in the entire Bible where a command is repeated two times in a row. It's like, if you didn't hear me, He's saying rejoice, and by the way, rejoice. And both of these are in the present imperative. These, these verbs are imperative, meaning it's a command. God says, I want you to rejoice. It's a, it's a choice that we make. We are commanded to rejoice. As Christians, we are commanded to rejoice. So it's a choice we make, and it's not based on current events. 2020 was a year of such great joy, wasn't it? You could just hear joy everywhere. Just see joy on people's faces and hear joys and joy in conversations and so forth. It wasn't, was it? But why wasn't it? Why wasn't 2020 a, a year of joy? For Christians, it should have been. Why for Christians? Why do I say this? Well, let's compare 2020 to a passage in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, where the author of Hebrews is talking to the Hebrew Christians, and he says, but recall the former days when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being public, 
publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. In other words, people were coming in just taking their stuff, like the current government is likely to start doing. <laughs> Excuse that little political statement there, but let me read this again. But recall the former days when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, and you full, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. And what did we do? We grumbled about the scarcity of toilet paper and having to wear a mask. See the difference between these Christians and these Christians, you know? Where was our joy? And if that doesn't make you feel guilty enough, let me give you three more. Okay? You feel guilty? Here, here's some three more. But the Jews stirred up persecution <clears throat> against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Here's another. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And here's another one. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And one final one, actually. You receive the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. How in the world could these Christians, in, in the midst of, of the regimes that they lived under, and the persecution, the affliction, and the actual physical harm, and so forth, can each, in each one of these cases, and, and I could have multi, I had, I deleted, I redacted, not redacted, I took several out because I could have given you a bunch more. But throughout the scriptures in the book of Acts and, and in the rest of the epistles, we find Christians under great affliction and persecution. Paul was stoned a couple of times uh, to almost death and, and yet, and, and put in prison. And what were they doing? They were singing, singing joyful songs and we get upset because there's not enough toilet paper on the shelf. So if we are to seek joy as Jesus told us and we are to rejoice always as Paul said, then, er then every day we need to get up with this resolve. I'm going to reject discouragement. I'm going to resist sadness. I'm going to say no to depression. Instead, I will rejoice no matter what. Remember Habakkuk who said, look, when I get up and I find that the fig trees are not blossoming and there's all kind, there's no uh, herds in the stall and all these kinds of things. And he lists this, this horrible uh, experience. And at the end of it, he said, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. That's, that's when we know that the kingdom of God, that's why I said in the very beginning that this is the fulfillment of, you got righteousness, you got peace, but until you have joy, it's not full yet. Until we get that fullness of joy, it's not complete yet. That's, that's the important part. That's how we know the kingdom of God has fully arrived in my life and in my world. <clears throat> Rejoice no matter what. It's what will undergird us for every day. What does the Bible say? See if you can finish this sentence. 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. So you could finish that. Do you know where that's at? Anybody know where that's at? Don't cheat, huh? Don't cheat. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> I'll tell you where it's at because let me give you a little bit of background. It's in the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it's one of my favorite stories. Nehemiah has heard about the condition of Jerusalem. The walls of the city were just piles of rubble and had been that way for upwards of 120 years. People lived in this condition in the, in the rubble of the uh, destruction of their beloved city. And the walls of the city not only were in piles of rubble, but the Bible says that he, Nehemiah had heard that the people were in great repro reproach and in danger from those around them. So God asked Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what's wrong with this picture? Something's wrong with this picture. This isn't right. The people weren't getting it. They were living amongst, amongst it and, and didn't see the wrongness of the picture. But Nehemiah, living hundreds of miles away, hearing about the condition, knew that there was something wrong with that picture. So he sets off to bring the kingdom of God to Jerusalem. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Rightness. There's something wrong there. I'm going to bring the kingdom of God to Jerusalem. I'm going to make it right. And we're going to rebuild these walls. And we're going to establish the kingdom of God here in righteousness in this place. So he does that. He goes, and after the work is completed, guess what happens next? The effect of righteousness is peace. The fruit of righteousness is peace. Peace comes to Jerusalem. But we're not done yet, are we? Because we've got righteousness. We've got peace. Now what's, what's left to complete the kingdom of God here is joy. So God declared, after all this was done, after the right, things were set right, and after peace comes, God says, okay, now we're not done yet. Now we're going to set aside a day that's going to be a holy day. Now when I was growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, not the same one as her, but they're all, they were all alike in those days. When I was growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, I was taught that Joy has no place in the... <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was taught joy has no place in church. I was taught, you know, the, I don't know if you saw, the, the, if you ever taught the caboose, you know, the faith and feeling is like the caboose. It's like the end. We had a guy actually get up one time in church and uh, right in the middle of the song service. And, and he, he got up and said, Amen! And I thought the deacons were just going to, they surrounded him. I thought they were going to carry him off like the mob, you know. We don't have this kind of stuff in this church. Joy was not accepted, even though we would sing about joy in our songs. You had to sing it with very solemn faces. So when you hear God say something like, okay, we're going to set aside a day, and it's going to be a holy day, consecrated, set apart for me. This is what he says about it. He starts off, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this, is, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Therefore, do not mourn or weep. 
I, on, on holy days, don't look forlorn, don't look sad, don't look gloomy. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord and then words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's the verse you finished for me a few moments ago. That's the context of it. So he's saying, this day is holy to the Lord, therefore you don't waste your time being sad and gloomy because the joy of the Lord is your strength, which implies that sadness takes, saps your strength, doesn't it? Been sad before, you've been gloomy before, what are you going to do? Curl up in a ball in your bed or pull the covers up over your head. Or just sit and plop down somewhere because I'm sad and gloomy and I can't do anything. So that saps your strength and God says the joy of the Lord is your strength. This day is holy. Do not mourn or weep, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So sadness and weak, uh, sadness weakens us. So the Bible says they they made. If you if you read on from this point on, they made great rejoicing. I mean, they did that. They ate the fat. By the way, in the Old Testament, the fat was always reserved for God. He got the good stuff. I don't I don't care for fat a whole lot, but. You know, God says, reserve the fat. The fat's for me. You burn it as a holy sacrifice to me. But on this day, God said, I'm going to share the fat with you. Here's the, here's the good stuff. And here's the drink sweet wine. And if you see anybody without that stuff, give it to them. Because I want everybody dancing, rejoicing, being glad because the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do I get strength in my life? Rejoice. Be full of joy. The Hebrew word, by the way, for mourning literally means to wither or dry up. And the Hebrew word for grieve means to stop moving. So, you, so doesn't that describe you when you're sad and gloomy? You wither, you dry up, you stop moving. So when we don't, when we don't rejoice, we're weakened. So pay attention here. This is what the Lord said to me yesterday as I was, like I said, this is a whole refresh. I didn't say this 12 years ago, but it's something the Lord said to me yesterday as writing these notes. Just as he, God said to his people here in this place, this day is holy, this day is set aside, this day is important, so whatever you do, don't be sad and gloomy. That's how we need to look at our days, every single day. That's what this verse, this verse that we know so well, that we're going to put on the last verse we're going to look at, is in Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be sad and gloomy and sit at home and with our curtains drawn and don't want to be bothered. This is the day that the Lord has made. We don't have time for, for gloominess and sadness. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In other words, God is saying this day is set apart by the Lord as well. That day in the book of Nehemiah was set apart by the Lord. But guess, guess what? This verse is saying every day is set apart by the Lord. This is the day. Which day is that? This day. And when you get to tomorrow, it's this day. And the next day is this day. This day is too important to waste it with sadness and gloominess. So if you want the completeness and fullness of the kingdom of God in your life, you must rejoice no matter what. You must be joyful. And it's a choice we make because the Lord is in control, and we know that. One last 
thought, one last verse, it's not in my notes, but I just thought about this. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, 2, Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy, Jesus, who for the um, starts off with um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, ignoring the shame. Who, the, who for the joy that was set before him. So Jesus, even on the cross, had joy set before him in the midst of that, in the midst of the worst thing we could imagine. Joy was set before him. Amen.